no matter what darkness you're going through, no matter how difficult, just realize that the light on the other side of this, and there is a light, is brighter than the darkness that you're going through. It's brighter than any darkness you'll ever go through. All you have to do is let yourself heal. Give yourself that time. Embrace what you're feeling. And I promise you, it gets better. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, thank y'all for coming back again. Hey, we got a, another topic, another, uh, you know, success story on coming adversity. Hey, I'm Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance. Thank you for coming in on the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Today, our topic is about surviving domestic abuse and sexual assault from a decade-long relationship. Okay, now. As we're going through here, she said one day, I don't know when, when but we get into this, she woke up and she decided it's time to get out. So she bravely went and stepped out of the relationship, demanded a divorce and escaped from her abuser, which she said was much harder than it sounds. And I have no doubt about that. Okay. By refusing to let him win, working on her own mental health, and a lot of hard work. She is now living life to the fullest. She is a survivor advocate, volunteer, and author of the book right here, Sheila's Men. All right. Welcome to the show, Jenna Ashlyn. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you again. I tell people for sharing your valuable time because we know time is valuable and helping people, you know, today, tomorrow and 100 years from now, someone's going to find this thing and just think how we're going to be helping people in. So appreciate you coming on and sharing, sharing your journey, your story. I'm glad to be here. So all I'm doing right now is I'm just providing a platform for you to open up and tell your story so jump on in where you feel fit and then i'll bounce in and out uh, in between uh, when i get when i come up with questions okay sounds good all right so it kind of this part of my story started whenever i was about 30 years old um i actually lost my husband uh just a few years to a heart attack and it was devastating. Um, forgive me if I say I'm a lot, but sometimes it's just kind of hard to get through it. Mm-hmm. I remember not really knowing what to do with myself. And I found myself surrounded by people that were guys that were flirting with me. And I didn't really understand why, because I'm not really the kind of girl that expects that kind of thing. And I remember at his funeral, guys started hitting on me. So it left me in a very vulnerable state. My mind wasn't 
wasn't good either because I was going through a lot of grief. And because mm-hmm. of that, I started looking for a friend and ended up meeting a guy and, you know, he was completely okay with just being friends and wasn't trying to push me into anything at first. But before too long, he did start pushing. And I figured, well, you know, maybe it's just me where I'm not really ready yet. And I just need, you know, to just not let this guy go because he seems like a a good man. And, you know, he's willing to help me through this. So uh, long story short, I ended up marrying him and everything completely changed. Before long, I wasn't able to mourn my husband. And I ended up turning to writing at that point, and I wrote a different book than the one that you mentioned. It's called Within the Gray, and I'll just show a picture of it real quick, but it was the first book that I wrote. This is Within the Gray. All right. And so I started writing it as a way to kind of like mourn him, but as I as I went along, I started to realize a lot of the things that were happening to me, and really noticing that things weren't right in the relationship. And it was kind of a slow process of me understanding what was going on. And a lot of things started happening. Um, I noticed that there were a lot of times where I was talking myself into being okay with different sexual activities. And I noticed more and more how much manipulation was going on. I wasn't allowed to talk about my husband that died. I wasn't allowed to mourn him without him, without my current husband, my abuser, just kind of attacking me and feeling guilty. And I mean, attacking verbally saying that, you know, I shouldn't be mourning him and that it just showed that I didn't care about my abuser because he was also my husband. And it was just a very difficult time. And I kind of created my own world. And and within the gray, I kind of showed all of the things that should have happened. And the support person that I really wanted, the kind of guy I wanted to be with. And and Sheila's men, um, towards the end of the relationship and afterwards, I wrote what actually happened. And that's kind of where the books basically got their start is me just kind of taking that time to confess what had happened to me. Because one of the biggest things that he said whenever we finally got our divorce was that I needed to to not talk about it. If I said anything, then he would come after me and he would make my life a living hell. And he would tell everything that I did too, because I made a lot of mistakes in that process. and. Mm-hmm. So writing the book was a way for me to kind of finally speak up. And it's been uh, very powerful. It's been powerful for everyone who's read it. It can be quite triggering. I don't in any way try to hide that. But I think being triggered is important because it helps you heal. It helps you grow. It lets you know that there are still emotions that you have. And being triggered and reading books like this. Yes, exactly. Being yeah. triggered is a great way to, you know, get a journal and 
embrace those emotions and allow yourself to feel them and, and realize that your emotions are valid and how important it is to jot down those thoughts and those feelings. And that can be a great thing to take to your therapist, because if you're in any kind of therapy, you're probably not seeing them often enough to really dig in deep. Um, and I'll stop there and see if you have any questions to kind of well, see journaling, what kind of details journey. you want to know. Well, journaling is also a good form of therapy or uh, uh, anyway, and whether you show it to anyone or not, just openly putting it out there can feel good. Now, I, I like what you said, journaling and take it to your counselor or whatever. Uh, that way you don't forget what you don't want to talk about. <laughs> you, you don't forget. Right. You no, know, you're on the spot and you're going, well, I remembered what I wanted to say, but. I can't remember it. Yeah, but if you take it because you've already opened it up, then you can go through it as 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 you need to. So yeah, I, I'm I'm all for the journaling. Now let me ask uh, this question: Your first husband? How long were all married? Um, he wasn't first, but we my first. Okay. I actually have had some pretty bad history, but we were married for about three years. And okay, so far, the um, one I'm talking about, I guess the one that passed away, because that seems to yes. be the one that you were. That seems to be the one you're madly in love with, with to keep uh, referring to him. Um, I I most definitely was for um, a long time. And while I still love him, my life has uh, changed a lot yeah. since then. And I've grown a lot as a person because of, of all of my experiences. And I have a new love in my life, actually. There we go. Good. Um, and then I was, yeah, was going to ask, you mentioned... And this sounds awful strange while you were saying it and you, and you referred to it as something's not going on uh, right. People were flirting with you while the husband, while you were getting him ready for the funeral and afterwards he his was, death and people were just that fast already flirting to, yes. to get with you. Um, Did you ever neighbors find and. They were neighbors and and friends of his that lived close by because we were living in subsidized housing at at that time because we had a very large family. There was six kids total and it was three teenagers and three toddlers because he was 11 years older than me. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of responsibilities and a hard time keeping up with that because he was sick from time to time and he did have some heart issues. But whenever he passed, it was still a really dramatic shock to the system yeah oh, it yes. was very very difficult to deal with oh yes yeah losing a loved one even though you may know health is just going in it still doesn't help the situation you know when they do uh pass um so this other guy that you married the abuser was he part of y'all's yes circle No, he was uh, not. He was. Okay. No, he was somebody that um, I had met online because I was looking for somebody to kind of hang around and just be a friend and kind of deflect all of that. That way, you know, they would say, oh, well, she's taken, better not keep bothering her. So I got, um, so I made a friendship with this guy and he was, you know, tall and kind of a bigger guy and it worked. So I even had at one point, I even had a decoy ring 
like a little fake ring from Walmart that looked like a real engagement ring. And mm-hmm. I wore it for a while to just to get people just to leave me alone. To get to keep people away. So Yeah. I'm still having a hard time with understanding why would someone want to be so forward and flirting during that time of mourning, that time of breathing, you know, grieving that, that I was, past. And Dad, did I you know. ever find did you ever find out why or they they were doing that or you just moved on ignoring it? Um, I had to ignore it. There was um, some sexual assault that it, uh, some attempted sexual assault at that point. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, you know, made me move faster, you know, to yeah. get somebody else in the picture to, to kind of deflect that. Only thing I could yeah, do yeah. is just, you know, speculate, you know, maybe they yeah. thought I had money because, you know, my husband had died or maybe he was talking about me at work or, I mean, yeah. I have no idea. Okay, because I, I just, I just can't see a normal person moving that fast. So uh, uh, now, but maybe I mean maybe that's just me, but I, I just don't understand it. So, all right, then. So, no, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. All right, so you were with this uh, this abuser for uh, you say about a decade with this uh, going yes. on. Yes. So, yes. And and you mentioned you noticed things just wasn't going right with them being controlling, um, manipulative. Um, yeah, from there. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he refused to work. And any time that I was upset about something or I disagreed with him or one of the things was, um, you know, and I'm not trying to be like too uh, forward or too graphic or anything, but I would ask for foreplay. I would ask for a little bit of affection. I would ask to be kissed and he wouldn't do it. And he would say, well, I do touch you. I do kiss you. And like his version of that was like two seconds and then I'm thrown on the bed. Yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. never really ready for anything most of the time. And it got to the point where um, if I was doing something to him and I wanted to stop, or if I said no, he would keep asking and keep pushing himself on me until I just gave up. Yeah. You uh, got was, a lot of the, I got exhausted yeah. from saying no. Yeah. Exhausted and just giving in. So you just finally give it in just so you can move on and, and get it over with and move on. Yeah. So. And, yeah. Cause he would, he would go for hours, you know, without giving me much of a choice. And then after a while, especially where my husband had died, I was having issues feeling any kind of emotion for quite a long time. So I just blamed myself the entire time. And he was really good at making sure that I blamed myself Oh, as well. You know, yeah, that's I've, what I've, he did. I've had other, other ladies on here, women on here, and that's gone through some uh, domestic abuse relationships. And you're saying the same thing they've all said, you know, they, they blame me for everything they were never accountable for anything. It was always their fault. Always they did what, whatever would happen to them. It's because you made me do it. And yeah, yeah. It's, in it's one insane. way or other, it's it's always going to be twisted. Yeah. And you know, even saying, I remember one time I was trying to talk on the phone with my mom, 
And he literally um, just kind of pushed me down and held me down on, on the kitchen island, just kind of like pushed me down and Mm -hmm. um, pulled down my pants while I was talking on the phone with my mom and, you know, did everything that he wanted to do right while I was on the phone. And he thought it was funny. And that was like five or 10 minutes before the kids got home from school. And, you know, I just looked at him and I tried to get off the phone and, and he would tell me no, that I had to stay on the phone, that I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. And I mean, that was, that was really difficult because I would be in a lot of pain because I mean, you know, all of a sudden you're in an awkward position and, and things are happening to you while you're on the phone with your mom. I mean, that was horrible. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And here, you know, you know, I'm assuming you were trying to, you know, hide everything from mom as much as possible as well. And even though yeah. it may be in this painful, whatever, you're still trying not let her worry what's going on with you. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. I mean, you don't want to talk about that. And I mean, if, if he's right there, you can't really say anything because that could even make the, the violence worse. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be hit. And I know that he, I asked him, I didn't trust him. And like, it took years for me to really realize what was going on. And around that same time that I started to wake up, I remember tucking my daughter into bed one night and she was only eight or nine years old at the time. And she looked up at me and she's like, mommy, I want a new daddy. And that's when I knew that it was affecting a whole lot more than me. And while I was out working 50, 60 hours a week, up at that point, I knew that it, things were happening at home too. I don't know exactly what he was doing to them, but it seems like it was still mostly psychological. Mm-hmm. They don't have a whole lot to say, but everything was always their fault. I remember him sitting at the table and crying, telling them that, telling these little kids that you guys make me feel like you don't want me around and you guys hurt my feelings and stuff like that. A grown ass man in his thirties saying that to little kids. And and I know the kids wouldn't have thought this and they wouldn't have, obviously they didn't do it, but I wish they had had the big old gumption to go ding, 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 ding. You finally figured it out. Now go, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But, uh, but you know, that would have been hard on them because he would have took it out on them if they would have been point blank honest. And so I'm glad they didn't. But for him to realize something was going on, they were putting in a little bit for him to catch on. So I'm, I'm glad glad they were able to do that for, for themselves and for you. Yes, it was a very difficult time. It's uh, Sometimes it gets really hard to express it completely. Yeah. Um, that's a little bit of what the, the book is for. But I remember, you know, we started out in subsidized housing. and. I decided, you know, well, I'm, he wouldn't go to work. He absolutely refused saying he, he couldn't because he had social anxiety. He really didn't because anytime we went anywhere, he didn't have any trouble talking to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, every once in a while he would have an issue, but, you know, there was still a lot of things that he could do that didn't involve, you know, talking to everybody. And it was quite funny because whenever I finally did um, managed yeah. to, I was reading that comment that popped up. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, ready to say mistake is, uh, said that 
for 20 some years that she was going through this and realized how it was affecting the children. And that's when uh, she decided it was time to get out. And Angry Quad, hey, big guy, thank you for coming in, AQ. Saying hi to you, Jenna. Hi. So, yep. And so, yep. Yeah. All right. Now. So at that point, uh, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. At that point of her, her saying that, you know, I want a new daddy, it kind of kicked in a little heavier because I was figuring everything out. And then I was starting to realize it was much bigger than myself and much bigger than, than me needing to heal from where my husband had passed away. So I started figuring out, okay, well, how am I going to get out of here? Because there was no shelters to go to. I didn't have family that could, that could keep us. There was nowhere for us to go. Absolutely nowhere. So I started, you know, trying to work and it just as quickly as I earned money, he managed to, to spend it on one thing or other. Sometimes I would get a chance to spend that on me and the kids. And that was really nice. But anytime that I spent something on myself, then he would want to spend some money on his hobbies. And mm -hmm. he had some pretty expensive hobbies and they were kind of ridiculous. So now after let's, that, let's, let's get to the point here where, um, you finally decide to wake up, be the brave woman, uh, the brave mommy in uh, woman of the uh, thing, and it's time to step out. So when you confronted him, did you? I mean, did you confront him about it? Did you just get up and leave, go to a, a safe home or something? And you know, they got back to him on the divorce. How did all this take place? And I'm sure he didn't handle it well, no matter what happened. It took a long time. There was a lot of things that happened in between. Yeah. But it wasn't as simple as all that because there was nowhere for us to go. I looked for years for there to be a place for us to go. So eventually it got to the point where he had actually asked for an open marriage. And in that, it took me like a week to agree to that. And it broke my heart. And from there on out, you know, I didn't consider myself a part of that relationship anymore. And I started to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of planning and the kids started getting ready. They started learning how to do a few things for themselves. And at one point, one of my kids, my oldest was actually thrown into the floor and he started yelling at her and I stood up. It was right before Christmas. And I said, that's it. I'm going and I am going to fill out the paperwork and everything for a divorce, you are going to leave. You have to find a job because you will not be living here. And when, you know, after almost 10 years of him not being able to work, he got a job and he's still there. He's been there for years now. If, gravy and I told him, I will look whatever that you want. And it cost me dearly, but I, he stayed even after we, I filed the divorce papers and he was still assaulting me almost on a daily basis. And I just had to be strong enough. And it took every ounce of courage that I had every time and every day he was going, but you love me. You want me to stay. You don't want me to leave. And he tried that with the kids as well. And eventually whenever it was the day of the divorce, after we got back from the courthouse, because he insisted that we go together, he changed the rims on his vehicle, and then he finally left. 
Hmm. Finally got the message. Taking that long. I can't hear you. I said you finally got the message. It took him that long. Uh oh, having some difficulties I here. I don't hear you. Hold on a second. Uh, okay. I'm okay, you're still to say on something with me. Now. I can hear you. Okay, you're really well, low. I can barely hear you. Hmm. I haven't touched anything. I hope everything's working all right. Oh, let me see. Okay, what was your question? I'll have to lean in. Uh, I, I, I was just saying it just took him that long for him to realize, you know, you said the day of the divorce. And he finally packing and leaving. I said it, it took him that long to finally be convinced that you were really meaning this. He still wasn't convinced. Um, he he would stalk me outside of my work. He would drive by about 10 or 15 times a day. And he would rev up his engine because I had bought them this little turbo car. And he made sure that I was there. And he would text me constantly. And he would ask for money constantly because that was part of the agreement that we ended up coming to. But he didn't want it on the schedule. He wanted it any time and every time that he wanted it. He wouldn't let me mail it to him because I asked for his address about a hundred times. And it was just an ongoing constant stalking. And I ended up having to leave my job because of it. Did you, um, during all of this to, to get you going, Hey, AQ, yeah, we'll talk to you later, buddy. Thank you for coming in. Um, uh, did any time during this, um, did you seek counseling to get advice or whatnot, uh, how to deal with this, how to handle it, how to get yourself mentally, emotionally prepared for everything. So did you seek for help uh, during, uh, during this? Yes, I started seeking counseling immediately. Absolutely immediately. Um, and that started whenever he had asked for an open marriage and whenever I felt that everything started breaking. There was a text hotline that I could use from that work my job provided to talk to a therapist. And then um, I actually met um, a guy that I slowly befriended who was um, in, sci in college for psychology. And we worked together a lot. There was a lot of conversations, a lot of therapy. I mean, we're talking every day and a lot of journaling and digging deep because whenever I would be really emotional, that's whenever I would journal things out. And I would say, you know, how I was feeling. And, and I went back and I started to see patterns and then I would kind of dig at those patterns and be like, well, why am I feeling like I'm not good enough? And I would start with that. And then I would, you know, just keep asking why and keep digging deeper into that until I started to see answers. And the healing process was very, very intense because I wasn't going to let him win. I wasn't just going to lay down and, and take it. So that was something that I just didn't give up on. And I keep working hard at every single day, even though been, he was constantly harassing me. I would say it had been liberating that uh, you got your voice back and gaining some control over your life and especially for your children. Yes. Um, it was, it was amazing, but 
starting to speak out um, and become me again became very scary as well. That's whenever he started threats. And I wasn't even really like gossiping with anyone. But if somebody were to overhear me say, hey, you know, he's called like five or six times today, something as simple as that, somehow it would manage to get back to him. And he would you know, start calling and harassing me and texting my number. And I couldn't block him yet. And I couldn't change my number because I owed him money that I agreed to pay him to get him to leave peacefully. And it was like being harassed by, you know, the worst mafia family on TV or something. It was, it was really bad because it was a constant threat. It was almost worse than being married to him. Yeah. I can, yeah, I can, I can imagine. Again, he's he's still wanting to hold on to that control, and he's he was slowly losing it. And so I can see where you're saying it was kind of scary trying to reposition myself, because again, not knowing what he potentially would do. Yeah, he um he got really mad whenever I changed the locks because after mm-hmm. the divorce, he came he waited till the kids got on the school bus. And he came into my home and I was in bed asleep and, you know, he just walked through the door like he still lived here and he came into the bedroom and, uh, you know, things were not good in that situation. And whenever I changed the locks, he told me I didn't have a right to because I still owed him money. And so I changed the locks anyway, and I didn't change them back. And I told him that if he didn't stop, I was going to call the sheriff's office and get a lawyer. And eventually he stopped with that, but then he started harassing me at work more. Yeah. Okay. So this guy, yeah, he, he needs some, he needs some help for himself. Uh, some psychological sounds like to me um, for him to continue on like this. All right. So let's get to the, to the better side of the story. So you, you moved on. Finally, you know, getting more adaptive, growing, mature, powerful, uh, having this, your voice back again, finding a new relationship, and you're living your life to your fullest. So let's get into this. Okay, so that support person that I mentioned that I befriended that was uh, a psychology student, he's mm-hmm. now my fiance. All right. And that took we knew each other for a year just as acquaintances. And then we became close friends and he kind of helped me through things. And I helped him through some things as well, because we both really enjoy deep intellectual conversations. So about a year and a half of knowing each other and through this healing process, we started dating and that was a very slow process and a lot of open communication. But from where I dug deep really, really hard and worked, diligently in the healing process, I was able to see things as they were. And we kind of walked forward together in a very unlikely relationship because both of us didn't want anything to do with relationships. But because I took the time to heal, life is so much more beautiful. I mean, it's going to sound so cheesy, but the sun is brighter you know, the world is more beautiful. I love deeper than I ever could have imagined. It's like living in a fairy tale. And, you know, we're years into this. We're, we've been together dating for almost three years, known each other for nearly five. So this isn't like a silly little 
honeymoon stage. You know what I mean? This is, this is real. And we've been living together for about a year and a half as well. So, I mean, it's well, pretty you got, you got safe to, to learn say each that we're okay. Yeah, you got to learn each other and and know what's good, what's bad, and what to, what, what to do, what not to do with each other. How to control exactly. you know, yourself on not to get him mad. And he knows what not to get you upset. And if you do, you'll work each other. You have plenty of time, yes, to uh, know each other real well. Yeah, it's all about communication. And we've gotten really good at that because that was the basis of our, of our relationship. One of the other coolest things that has happened is that um, my abuser did find a new target and I met her early on in their relationship because it was, you know, within uh, it was, he actually cheated on me with her, which was okay. And I didn't blame her for that because I realized that she didn't know that. And I kept those lines of communication with her open. And a couple years later, because she'd asked me, she's like, you know, what's he really like? I'm hearing all these rumors about how bad he treated you. And because we live in a small town, so things get around pretty fast. And I told her, I was like, you know, those rumors are true. But she wanted to give him a chance. You know, she didn't want to just judge him. You know, he can change. You know how women are. We always want to think the best of people. And that's like a good thing and a horrible thing for us. So I kept those lines of communication open, but a couple of years later, she contacted me and he was doing all of the same stuff to her. And I felt so bad for her, but at the same time, it was nice to know that, I mean, it just verified that I wasn't the crazy one because that really haunts you for a long time. And her and I got to talking and she wanted out of the relationship and she needed help. So I was her support person and that was so rewarding and just so amazing to be able to help someone else that I started looking for ways that I could help um, spread information about domestic violence and sexual assault awareness. And I went and volunteered for, um, survivor advocacy outreach program. And I did 40 hours of community of training, which is required in the state of Ohio to be able to um, operate and be on the crisis lines and to work as an advocate. And now I'm generally speaking, not this month because I'm, I'm busy um, with the book launch, but normally once a week I'm on the line um, for overnight uh, answering any calls that might come in for the domestic violence and rape crisis line. And I'm uh, I'm sorry that you've been through all this, but I, 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 I again sorry that you've been through all this. But I'm loving how you have grown and mature, found yourself again. It's good for your children to see all this, to learn from you, and how you're able to use this experience to help someone else get out of their situation. This is so great. Thank you. Um, I went through and during the process, it was almost every day that there was sexual assault. And now, I mean, I was living in hell and that's what it really felt like. And writing the book was, was a lot, was part of my healing process. But I remember as I got part of the way through writing it, 
just kind of looking at it and realizing that it was something that could really help other women that could help them not feel quite as alone. And I'm completely honest in it. You know, I tell about what I was thinking, how I was feeling and the mistakes that I made along the way, because I think that's important because just because we're going through this, we're going to do some things that maybe isn't who we are. And that's because of the trauma response. You know, it's very difficult thing to go through and we can't completely blame ourselves for that. We need to own it and realize why and forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we make and for the things that we're not okay with that we had to endure. I'm a big believer in I'm big, big, I'm a big believer in the forgiving ourselves. We yes. make stupid mistakes. We make honest mistakes, but we don't need to hang on to them for a lifetime to make life worse. You know, I can't go do this because I got a DUI 40 years ago. I can't go do this because last week I no. Forgive yourself, learn from it, try not to do it again. We're going to goof up as we get older. Not that we want to, but it's going to happen. So when we forgive ourselves, I mean, you know, we're taught to forgive people that's that's hurt us. But rarely are we taught to forget our, ourselves. And I'm a big believer that you've got to forgive yourself as well uh, from there to be able to move on. So, Jenny, yes. bro, I appreciate you coming on here. We need to uh, start wrapping up here. Man. I'm just so, I'm glad we met up here and I'm glad you're sharing your story. I just love seeing your smile and you have blossomed and you're helping other people. That's the big thing. When we can get through our struggles and then share that experience and share some techniques to help others get through it. That's, that's one re one reason why we're here, I believe. Okay, is to help each other. Mm -hmm. It's not everything. It's not the only thing, but it's one thing is to help other people. And so I appreciate you doing this, taking your suffering, your pain, and has found a purpose for it. I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't go through this for no reason. I'm glad that I wrote the book. Everybody says it's triggering, but like I said before, Sometimes it's good to be triggered. Sometimes it's good to see darkness and the light that is on the other side. It's good to have and, and, and really show people because it seems so empty whenever you're going through that. Oh, you'll get through this. You know, people say so many generic things. They'll say, you'll get through this. Well, why don't you just leave? Most people don't leave because they're afraid they're going to die. And that's a very relevant thing. They have to plan. They have to figure out their safest way out. It is never as simple as all that. Either that or they think it's all their fault. So people well, it's really... Not that, it's, not that, it's not that they think it's their fault. They've been groomed to think it's exactly. their fault. And so, yeah. So then they it, they inherit this misbelief from their abuser. abuser. <laughs> so... All right. Uh, thank you. Hey, uh, tell us uh, how people can find your book, Sheila's Men. How can you find that? And you said about a book launch. And then um, give your you website, social media, and how people can get hold of you. Okay. 
You can find Sheila's Men and uh, Within the Gray just about anywhere books are sold, with the easiest obviously being um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get it in any book and brick and mortar store. You just ha- probably have to order it because it's so new. It takes them a little while to get books in. And that goes the same for both books. Um, you can find me on social media on facebook.com slash author Jenna Ashland. And Twitter is Jenna Ashland one and Instagram is Jenna Ashle, just basically to the L and, you know, not, I wasn't able to get the Y and the N in there. And if all else fails, just Google author Jenna Ashland and all kinds of stuff will pop up. I'll tell people, just do the Googling and they'll come up, they'll come to you then. So, and I'll actually take the information and put it in the show notes to make it easier for people to click on and find you as well. And so, all right, Jenna, appreciate you being here and sharing your uh, story as uh, hard as it may be sometimes and touching as it can be. Again, you're helping someone else. Hey, um, now we know there's people out there hurting and struggling today. If you can leave us with a powerful message to help them get through today, you'll be leaving a blessing for them. No matter what darkness you're going through, no matter how difficult, just realize that the light on the other side of this, and there is a light, is brighter than the darkness that you're going through. It's brighter than any darkness you'll ever go through. All you have to do is let yourself heal. Give yourself that time. Embrace what you're feeling. And I promise you, it gets better. Amen, sister. Yes, it, it gets better. Uh, you, you, you're Not all wounds can be closed. Not all things can be taken away, but you'll be able to better handle it and then help other people. I, I'm just big on the helping big pay other people. So, all right. Um, thank you again, Jennifer, for being here. Steve, thank you for coming in and you have a blessed day as well. Everyone else, hey, thank you for hearing this. Share to someone you know that can use some motivation, some inspiration, some hope. That's the big thing, some hope to know that they can get through their situation. Do something today, tomorrow, something next week. It's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.